I have trouble singing that song. I don't know about you. Because all is a really big word. And I sing it and I go, Lord, I want it to be true. It touches on where we're going today. You know, we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 10. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're picking it up and finishing that chapter beginning in verse 32. It's been an amazing presentation Mark makes of the relentless pursuit of Jesus and what he's going to do for you and for me. And and what I want you to think about today, and what you come here and we open our Bible, it's the Word of God. It's how the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, is working on you and on me. It is, you know. It's in ways sometimes that are deeper than I know. And, and, and the, my problems, that's why I have difficulty with the song, I Surrender All, is that, is that I, I think that what I'm doing is, is doing this and going this way. But in actuality, what God is doing is breaking me so that I might trust Him. And we see it today. I, let me give you an illustration as we start to go. There's our local, um, wonderful, fantastic, auto mechanic car shop owner that I go to to get my oil changed. I don't do it myself. The pastor's all thumbs. So I'm going there and I look and I realize on the little sticker that they put on your window that I'm like 6,000 miles over the due date for my oil change. The sticker was there. My car needs the oil change. I'm going to get the oil change. But you know what I am? I'm ashamed. You know what I did? Have you ever done that? You just take the sticker off. <laughs> it totally works. You take the sticker off. And the gracious car mechanic uh, owner says, Steve Hazel, okay. He, 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 he just says, oh, I, I think you're a little bit over your oil change mileage. <laughs> totally gracious. But this is my problem. The thing is, I know that I need to take care of my car. But in honesty, I don't know. Go look at my car. It's headed for the dump heap soon enough, you know. And, and it ran, and it got its oil changed. It was late, all that. The problem is, why was I ashamed? I was ashamed and hid that I was late. Because I really get my value and care out of how he thinks of me. And I don't want people to think of me like, oh, dude, you're that guy. Never gets his oil changed. You're that guy who doesn't remember to do the things he should do. I want everybody to think well of me, like I'm, I'm advancing, I'm doing well. And, and then in comes the truth that I need a Savior. So we get to see that today here in what Jesus Christ is doing for us, what he's actually doing versus what sometimes we want him to do. And it's not the same thing. And, and, and we'll, we'll see it. Let's just jump in. We're, we're in the, Doing what? What is Jesus doing for us? So Mark chapter 10, verse 32, and it it may sound, and I hope it does start to sound to you, wow, this sounds familiar, and it should, because Mark has, for the last three chapters, spent all this time in the middle of his gospel on the same thing, repeated. And whenever you see that happen, you and I should take a step back and say, this is super important. Because there's only 15 chapters, and it's the story of Christ and his time on earth. And he spoke, and he didn't spend time over here. He spent time right here where we are this morning, making sure we see this. Okay, so so here it is. First, what he's doing in death and resurrection. So pick it up with me in verse 32. The word of the Lord. 
Here he goes. And they were on the road, it says, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. Okay, and even if you've already been reading and we're picking up in the middle, you should, you would go, what, what, I don't understand, this seems strange because the two interesting things, one is now finally in Mark, Jesus is turning his face and headed to Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to die for you and me, right? That, that, that's the thing. So Jesus is first, Jesus is ahead, he knows, but then this amazement, right, this wonder, this awe, this sense of something about to happen. And then fear. It's the, something that's about to happen has this impending doom kind of feel to it for people, right? That's what it's saying, this cloud. So this momentum of the place, they're going towards the temple, the center of God's presence among his people, and here comes the Son of God. And, and, and the stage is sort of being set for this amazing, huge event. Here he goes to do something. And here's the startling act, right? Because taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You know the story. Even if you've just read this gospel, you know the story, because this is the third time in the last two chapters that Jesus has told the disciples what's about to happen to him. Over and over he's doing it. The Son of Man will be delivered over and condemned to death by God's chosen people. He's be handed over then to the Gentiles and mocked and spit on and flogged and killed. Oh, and on the third day he will rise. This, this, right, is the singular act of Jesus, our Savior. This is what he does. By the way, this is his glory, right? That this is the glory of Jesus that he died on a cross. That doesn't sound like glory. Yeah, but the Bible says it. Let me just show you a couple, well, even just one. Here's one. There's It's several places. But Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is in John's account as Jesus goes towards where? The cross. He's going to be glorified. This act of sacrifice for man. Revelation 5 says it the same. Let me put that up to you. Between the throne and the four living creatures, this amazing scene in heaven, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who has the glory, the weight, the power, the amazing honor to open the scroll? And and says he saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is Jesus. Sacrifice Jesus and his sacrifice is his glory. This is, if you will, the deep magic. This is the wondrous act of God revealed. This is the hidden thing now seen. This is the perfect representation of God who is Christ. This will draw all men to himself. This will be the serpent lifted up. This will be the grave split and the leper healed and the blind seeing and the lame walking. This sacrifice once and for all 
Never again. The blood of Christ. He has done it. It is finished. And here he tells them, ahead of time. He knows this is it. This is amazement and fear and Jesus who's in control. And he knows it. And he's going to die. And he tells them, how would you respond? How would you respond? Jesus, and you're with him, and he's telling you, he's going, and you're like, I guess I'd be like, whoa, Jesus. Uh, thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. There's two particular events connected to this now. They are particularly connected to this. They ask the same question. They're meant to show you what's going on. They're also connected to where we've been. There are two requests now heard by Jesus, almost in light of what we've just heard again, the depth of what he knows he's going to do. One is answered, one is not. Let's look at the first one. Make me great. Make me great, because here it comes. So in verse 35, and James and John connected tightly to what Jesus just said, and it just keeps on going, here come James and John. In Matthew's account, it's his mom that comes, but we won't blame the mom here. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Man. Do whatever we ask. Man, I I suppose favor fortunes the bold, huh? (laughs) Jesus, do whatever I say. Okay, Jesus, I I guess I was trying to think through what they were thinking, and I I guess this is just supposition. I don't know this, but if it were me, I guess I'm thinking, oh, he just told me he's going to go die. I better get in my request fast. (laughs) Like, if I ask him now, maybe, I mean, I guess, I why? Jesus, do what we say. Please, please give us something. And it's an amazing reflection on the patience of our Savior Jesus Christ that he doesn't say, shut up. He said to them, it's amazing. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Oh, no idea what they're asking. In your great glory, we want one of us to be on the right and one of us to be on the left. By the way, if you're, if you're a student of scripture and you've walked through with us in Mark, you realize they're getting better. Because back in chapter nine, they were arguing about who was the greatest based on what they've done. And now at least they're asking Jesus to make them great. And that's an important shift, actually. It's an important shift to see that what they're doing is they're saying, okay, okay, what we realize Jesus, we're supposed to be low, but you can make us great. We can use Jesus to make us great. I think a lot of us end up standing kind of right here. Jesus, help me be, be good. Jesus, help me be great. Help solve my problems. Help me be advanced and high. But in your great glory, we want to be with you in glory. That might not be what they think or what we think. But Jesus answered them and said to them, he said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? So cup generally refers to a a cup of evil, a a cup of wrath, a cup he's going to drink that's bad. 
Are you going to experience the difficulty that I'm about to do? Or the baptism, and I don't think that's a technical term. It doesn't have to be like Christian baptism. It's almost like, are you going to experience, immersive experience, right, what I have to experience? Are you going to go through what I'm going to go through? Can you do that? The answer is no. No one's able. To be God and perfect. To be in heaven above. And to come down and unjustly sacrifice yourself when you're perfect for a bunch of losers. And carry the weight of sin. No, no. The answer is no. But they said to him, yeah, yeah, we're able. This guy's, wow. I'm not too quick. It could be me, right? Yeah, I, I, I can do this, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. Yeah, you're going to experience it. You're not really able to bear it. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. Right? There will be, and there was, a person on the left hand and the right hand of Jesus when he came to his glory, which was what? On the cross. One of them, Jesus said to him, you will be with me today in paradise. We'll know that man. His glory will be he was there. When the event of history happened, that we all come and we worship because Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and for me. And there are people around him and the glory is they got to see and got to be with Jesus. And these guys did and that guy would and it's already determined. And I can't put you, you're not going up on the cross with me, James. You're not on my left side, John. It's already set what's going to happen. I'm following the Father. I'm submitted to his will and mine that I go save you. It's been Prepared. That's not the disciples' story at this point to be crucified on his right and left, but if you go through the history of the disciples, almost all of them, there's a couple we don't know exactly, almost all of them martyred, right? So they partook in this suffering death, in a way, associated with Jesus who dies. But it wasn't to be great in heaven, I'm supposing, though, that idea just won't die. It doesn't die in me. It doesn't die in you. In fact, this was always the problem from the garden, right? Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they had to be put out because because, because they wanted to be like God. We want to be like God. The other disciples, in fact, are angry about how, how could you ask that? We wanted to ask that. How could you ask that? So when they heard 10 heard it, and then now it's the 10, because with James and John, it would be 12. So those two guys, the others 10, they're going, they're indignant, right, at James and John. <laughs> so Jesus calls him over. The whole greatness idea, you know, that whole thing that gets in wiggles into our heart about greatness is the wrong idea. Because what's what he says? Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but, but it shall not be so among you. 
Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Okay, so, so just the idea, and we get it, it's not hard to comprehend. Like this is some difficult concept. Generally, rulers wield power. And they use that power for the things they want to accomplish. Normally what we call that is right-handed power, the power of the sword, the power of manipulation, the power to say I've got riches or authority or whatever it is. In our country, it's mostly political power or monetary power. To exercise authority. And he says, not so you. No power to be exercised that way. (laughs) I wish we could avoid it. If you wish greatness, Jesus says to his guys, be a servant. If you want to be first, be a slave. That's that word, a strong word. We talked about this before, right? You're like, wow, that sounds a lot like what we talked about before. Yeah, because it's the same, right? Only now they're asking Jesus, and Jesus is saying the same thing to them. And, and again, in our desire for greatness, it doesn't phase us even a little bit. Because if you're in that attitude of saying, okay, how do I become great? And I want to be great. I want Jesus to make me great now. And Jesus just gave me how to be great. What is it? Be a servant. I'll be great in heaven. Cool. And you start making your checklist of all the ways you're going to serve so you'll be great in heaven. What is your whole focus? I want to be great in heaven. Okay. We're back to the car analogy. Right? Those things are great to do. It is wonderful to serve. It is like Jesus to serve. But if my heart is about getting great in heaven, it's the same heart that's embarrassed when I don't get my oil changed in time. It's the same heart that gets, like, I want other people to think well of me. I even want to think well of myself. I'm going to advance. I'm going to use the instructions of Jesus to advance myself in Jesus so that when we get to heaven, everyone will acknowledge that man Yes, with a little bit of thunder, is great. You can start now if you'd like. <laughs> no, no, no. I say that in jest because I, I'm not. Jesus is saying that because what's their only hope? Their only hope we already heard is he's going to the cross to die so that by his sacrifice, you, they might live. It's the receiving, right? You're never actually earning. You're never getting on this thing to say, I'm going to make myself great by serving because you're thinking then of service as meritorious. It's not. It can't be. You can respond saying, oh, I want to respond to Jesus. You can do it all day long in all these wonderful ways. But well, that's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, I want to be great. And honestly, we think it too. This is what Jesus is getting after. Look, look at it. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I, I, I don't love the for even. It's and. It's, it, it's, 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 it's a light but. It's, it, it kind of pushes you, and because otherwise you're taking this kind of as an example. I'm going to be like Jesus, but he's my good example. And that's not what this is saying, not even a little bit. Look what it's saying. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, as a huge, massive price, the slave price. 
That's what that word means, Lutron. It means it's the massive slave price. You go on a free a slave, you go bring a boatload of money to get that slave free. So then he says, that's what he's just said to them, right? You want to be great? Go be a slave. Why? Because I'm coming with the slave price. My life, a ransom. For You know why you're great? Jesus Christ bought you. You know why you're great? God died because you needed it. That's amazing, such value you have. And that's what he's saying. I came not to ser- be served. You're not going to serve me, but to serve and to give my life. He's talking about himself. He says his. He's talking in the third person about the Son of Man. He's the Son of Man, the representative man, the depth of the wonder of what mankind should be. As a ransom, and then that word, I want you to focus in on it for a minute for me. For many. It's a strange word for four. It's kind of, I'll say it, you'll know kind of, it's the word anti. Normally you would say against. It's not the four word that is, uh, again, I'm not trying to show you my great intellect, don't, don't you dare. Gar kind of is four, but this one is against. So the, the real thinking, instead of, right? Give my life as a ransom instead of many. That's the thought. You have Jesus alone versus all of our little sacrifices. <laughs> we all do it. We respond. We're so thankful. I'll do anything for Jesus. I, I sang the song. I surrender all. I sang it. but And, and I mean it, but I do it so poorly. <laughs> but I know this. My hope, my assurance, my depth is that Jesus, he paid the ransom. All other religions come to be an example. All of them. Go check them out. You can check out Buddhism and Hinduism and Mormonism and even Jehovah's Witness. They're about you following the good example. Christianity says, no. We receive Jesus. We don't follow his example of service. We receive his service. He didn't come to teach service so that you can learn to serve him. That's explicitly what he's saying here. He's saying he came to serve You. Wow. He came to be a ransom as opposed to many paying the price he paid it. So Jesus, make me great. Go below. This will remind you that I die for you, says Jesus. Do do what? Not make you great. Save you. If only we'd see this, if only we'd take our eyes off of our ladder climbing and comparing and obsessive need for personal advancement and be amazed at Jesus, because that's actually what what you need him to do, (laughs) is to save you. That's what you actually need to communicate to other people. Not, hey, come to Jesus and you'll get cleaned up. Come to Jesus, He's, he's life. Okay, here's the other request in the chapter. There's one. Jesus didn't answer it, right? He didn't say, okay, I'll do it. He kind of said, uh, you're thinking about it wrong. But look at this one. Make me see. These are, these are, these are, by the way, in all the synoptic gospels have these, these three scenes together. They get tightly woven together because they go together. Here's the other request in verse 46. They came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus. A blind beggar. 
the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Okay, so this blind guy, right? He's sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. The guy won't shut up. You know how it goes if someone's kind of taken over the conversation and you're trying to walk by and be quiet. Maybe it's a nice moment while they head over off to Jericho and they want to share a minute with Jesus. And this guy just won't start yelling. Dude, shut up. He heard you already. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, I want you to notice this. Jesus Stopped. I love that. They're all going by. They're telling the guy to shut up. Jesus hears something and he stops. Very interesting. Mark doesn't say Jesus just asked him. It has this thing of Jesus sort of, hey, wait a minute. Uh, wait, I'm hearing something there. Right? Said, call him. So they called the blind man saying to him, take heart. Get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, again, student of scripture with me, right? We read this, we don't just read Aren't Have you heard those words before? Yeah, we just heard them. If you run your eyes back up to verse 36, it's the exact same words that Jesus used to James and John. James and John say, Jesus, do something for me. And James and, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Make us great was the request. Here's request number two. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus speaking to Bartimaeus. Did you hear what he asked for? He already asked for it. Jesus, son of David, what? Have mercy on me. That's the kind of request God answers, right? Jesus, oh, I, I missed the, what he said. So it says, and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. In the context of mercy, in the context of it's just all your gift, in the context I got nothing, I'd love to see Jesus. I'd love to see. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on his way. The total power of Jesus, the total relationship of mercy, the trusting is what you need, and that's even what Jesus identifies. Oh, your faith. He's identifying Jesus of Nazareth with the son of David, this whole idea, the concept of the coming Messiah, and then he's asking for mercy. I got nothing. I'm a blind beggar. My hand's empty. And by the way, all this talk of following Jesus, right? Here's the guy that follows Jesus. He gets touched by the mercy of Jesus. Not because he needs to stay in favor. There's something else Jesus is going to shape him into or some other code he needs to learn. He's been touched by the king and it, it changes his heart to follow him. This, this is This is the thing today. Jesus... Mark is relentless to show us Jesus, right? He won't let us focus on ourselves. We are so lost and we've made Jesus into a lever 
for personal improvement, for personal greatness. Even today, we take his words in this gospel and somehow think it's an instruction on personal advancement. And off we go in our little service projects, working on ourselves to make ourselves great. Oh, my goodness. Lord, forgive us. We evaluate how much we're doing, how we're doing. We we come to things because we think it'll make us look good. Lord, forgive us. The message of the gospel is the only event that matters in your life is this one. Jesus Christ on the cross. It blows away every other action, every other sacrifice, every other atoning work you might do, any advancing work you might do. Not only do your works pale, your works are nothing. Unless, unless they're his works. That's the thing, right? That's why if you have any good fruit, it's the fruit of the spirit. That's Galatians 5, not the fruit of Dax. Nothing in my hands I bring, only to your cross I cling. And, and even I don't cling, I'm held. I look up, I look up like like this, right? As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, John 3 says, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And the reason why that image is like that, I think the serpent comes lifted up like the event, but what did they do? They just looked and do a thing. They looked at it so that we who say, I see, oh Jesus, I might see that my only hope is you on a cross. Consider yourself the slave because it's your only hope that someone will pay the ransom for you. Consider yourself the low because your only hope is that someone will lift you up. Consider yourself the dead because your only hope is that Jesus Christ will make you alive. We need to connect to these stories and see that Jesus stops for mercy to see that the trust that he will restore sight and heal and embrace and forgive. He has the authority and the power and the love to do it. And then when you and I have the spirit, we move. When we, when we see, oh, we'll act. Always amazed at the mercy of Jesus, always dependent on his deed, this deed, the cross, where God suffered and died for you and me. He did it. It's finished. You are forgiven. Will you trust it? Let's pray.